Hello, welcome to Recapping with Delora and Ashley. Please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Recapping Podcast. Also, comment, rate, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We're on all the things. We would love to hear your ratings of the movies and shows we review. Email us your audio file to recappingpodcast at gmail.com and we'll play it during the show. Or DM us on Instagram and we will post and read it on air. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you. All right, all right, Delora, how are you today? I'm blessed, which is a fact. (laughs) (laughs) But based off how I'm feeling, uh, your girl's going through it just a little little bit. Yeah, do you want to share why? Yes, yes. I got that second shot. I am fully vaccinated. Uh, yay, but currently how I'm feeling makes me feel like, what, what am I doing, right? Mm. <laughs> I'm happy, apparently, the more you feel, <laughs> it, the more likely it's working. So, right, right, right. I'm definitely better than I was the day after, mm-hmm. I will say that, um, but I'm not 100% yet, and I'm kind of over it, because we got some things going on in my life. I'm moving. Mm-hmm. We bought our first house. So, yeah. Congratulations for the mic's sake. Obviously, I knew, but yes. <laughs> very I'm just exciting. It to the pod family, and this is going to come into um, it's going to mean more once we make an, another announcement. <laughs> but overall, blessed and highly favored. That's my answer today. How about you, Ashley? Amen. I'm going to stick with that too, girl. Blessed and highly favored out here because <laughs> I cannot complain at all, to be honest. I will be with you with getting my second shot in a couple of weeks. So we'll have to talk about that in our uh, future show in terms of, um, you know, overall our experiences. Comparing but symptoms. Exactly. <laughs> Hopefully, knock on some wood, I will You'll be, be one of those. It's like, everyone listen, else, everyone I just ate a little bit like- in my arm. Oh, I'm done. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm like, okay, bet. Cool. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, at least having the real stuff. So yeah, I was going to say at least least it's not something that's taking you out and down for any prolonged period. Let's hope. So thank you for that. Um, We're going to move right on into you know, our feelings on this verdict that's come down. Guys, at the time we're recording this, the verdict has come down for um, Derek Chauvin in terms of the George Floyd case, and he was found unanimously guilty of all three charges in the death of George Floyd. Those charges were unintentional second-degree murder, third-degree murder, and second-degree manslaughter. Delora, how did you feel when that verdict came down? So... When the verdict came out, I was suffering with my vaccine symptoms, okay? So for my well-being, I was not on social media because my anxiety was already too high because I felt like it was taking this jury a little bit too long. And as we mentioned in previous podcasts, the feeling of, you know, having hope and seeing it Yes. Seeing police not have any accountability was, you know, it was creeping up on me. And so 
it really, I took a nap <laughs> and I got up and then I decided to go on social media and they, and then I saw guilty, guilty, guilty. Mm-hmm. The first thing that I did was exhale, frankly. I didn't realize I was holding my breath for so long. Right. How about you? I mean, I, I definitely felt the anxiety of as soon as I started getting the alerts on my phone of like, their verdict's been reached. We're going to get to you with breaking news in an hour. And that hour, hour and a half, however long it took, I started getting all the butterflies and just feeling some type Mm -hmm. of way because, as I said last week, I was not hopeful leading up to it that this was really going to be um, accountability, as I keep hearing everybody here, not justice, but accountability uh, for the death of and for the murder of George Floyd. And when I finally had that guilty, 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 I was glued to the TV for a minute because it really honestly didn't feel real at first. It felt mm-hmm. like, you know, there's, there's no way, there's no way I'm expecting, well, his, you know, his face didn't believe it was real either. Yeah. But- because it's, it, I mean, for him, who knows what, and I don't want to get too deep into what no. he might possibly be thinking, no. but I would but say for a, me, there's an ego that goes with, policing sometimes and well especially again based on history the reason why we did not feel he was going to get you know sentenced is the same reason why he probably was being told oh no that's probably possibly not going to happen to you you know what's sad that's the most emotion I even saw throughout this entire trial again I didn't watch it uh closely like while it was happening I watched all the highlights and I read articles and things like that but Mm -hmm. all the all the articles mentioned you know you know, very stoic or unemotional yeah. uh, towards any of the testimony. And yeah. Yeah. From the pieces I saw, cause I tried to watch some of the closing arguments in particular, and it was really hard for me to stomach. Um, I get it again. The, I definitely felt that relief, but I was a bit, I was shocked at first. I was shocked. And then I felt the relief, but then my relief was so short lived. And I think my relief too. Yeah. I think my relief too came because I was watching the ABC coverage and our girl, Cindy Hostin was Mm -hmm. on and she, as she said, lost her composure. I mean, in in my mind, you were just a human being at that moment who was digesting and processing like every other black person. No emotion. Of course. And she's, a black woman so you're held to different standards i totally get that but in that moment i like her pain and her relief was was mine and it was just like oh i wish i could hug you sonny because you're like family she said that she felt like her son was more safe in in south South africa Africa. yeah i mean you have stevie wonder talking about moving to africa so yes but (laughs) i didn't blame her i didn't blame her i got it you know because unfortunately a lot of black men are highlighted um you know when it comes to these police killings Mm -hmm. but like you mentioned before we even was able to take a few good deep breaths you get reports out of columbus ohio yes and that is still you know an ongoing feeling with um makia's situation and you know 
just don't know how to process these things every single time they continue to happen. As I mentioned last podcast, again, they need to come up with a new word. There needs to be a new word added to the dictionary because black people are beyond tired. We're beyond frustrated. I saw the I backlash with LeBron and, and exactly. And I saw the backlash dying. of LeBron and, and him immediately expressing how he felt mm-hmm. in that moment. But it's, yes. it's, it's the collective. It's how I think we're all feeling across the board, which is just like, I can't take, another one of these situations to your point about the video i mean thank god that people are able to capture a video because i think that is the only reason why Derek chauvin was convicted in this yes. case in the police report they said that it was a medical incident that happened not the fact that this man was on this man's neck mm-hmm. for well, nine minutes saw, that's what the defense tried to make it seem like like oh it was uh his other factors of drugs and but what I'm health issues is, if it wasn't for the video even those people's testimonies would not have had the same weight because they would have gone off of the police report, which said it was a medical incident. And that's what they tried to run with too. It's it's disgusting. I I definitely have to tip my hat to the 17 year old who had the strength and and foresight and presence to take that video. I mean, and to even speak to it in court, all those people, the little nine year old girl, the nine year old girl who spoke, I mean, it took a certain level of strength for them to be able to get, do what they did. And I'm just happy for the family. I'm happy that it seems like they're hopefully going to be able to move forward a little bit easier, breathe a little sigh of relief. But again, there's still so much work that, that there is to do in this country that, um, you know, uh, I'm, I was very happy. But at the same time, I am cautiously optimistic. Yes. Okay. Let's move into our two quick headlines of the day, guys. Jenny and Georgia. In case you missed it, was renewed for season two on Netflix. The cast posted a cute video on social media this week with the announcement, and fans rejoiced. Uh, the second season will feature another 10 episodes, picking back up after the cliffhanger of season one. Be sure to check out our recap guys of season one wherever you listen yes, to your favorite please. podcasts. And go to the shade room to see how black people feel about it. <laughs> Those comments were fire. <laughs> Our second headline, LeVar Burton. So his fans yes. came out in full force for this man. He and his yes. fans, their prayers have been answered because after a long campaign, it was yes. announced yesterday that the former Reading Rainbow host will step in as a guest host on Jeopardy. Uh, he's going to join to wrap up the season of guest hosts that they've had uh, since um, the passing of Alex Trebek. And in addition to him, it will also be Robin Roberts, George Stephanopoulos, David Faber, who I had to look up. He's an author as well as sports caster joe buck each will do a week-long stint with burton's hosting gig being from july 26th through the 30th so guys get excited i'm ready and excited and although i did not sign a petition i was sending <laughs> positive vibes because i think that would be a phenomenal fit absolutely i think he is going to be perfect as well a well-read black man. I yes. mean, he knows all the words. He's going to say them amazingly. Like, I'm here for it. <laughs> you know, of the folks they've had thus far, though, the one that surprised me was Aaron Rodgers. I really thought Aaron yes. Rodgers held his own. Yeah. And his um, fiance has been really gushing Shailene um, over Woodley. him about that. So, yes. yeah. Let's get into our hot topics. So, Nick Cannon is expanding his family 
again, he <laughs> and DJ Abby De La Rosa announced that they were expecting twin boys last week and had a fairly lavish baby shower in which he presented the mom-to-be with a new BMW. He welcomed his fourth child just back in December 2020 with his on and off girlfriend, Brittany Bale, who he also shares a three-year-old son with. And of course, we can't forget that he is currently co-parenting twins with ex-wife Mariah Carey, Moroccan and Monroe. If you mm. recall, Delora, there was drama with the previous new baby situation back in December because he was allegedly living with and dating model Jessica White at the time, who was, who was in love. Blindsided. I mean, yes. she posted about him being the love of her life and yep the news of this new baby came within a couple of days. So is Nick Cannon Hollywood's new communal baby daddy? I don't know what is going on with Nick. Obviously he's going through some type of transformation or according to him growth, right? Um, (laughs) I feel like he's tap dancing on the, you know, a man isn't supposed to be monogamous. (laughs) He's supposed to spread his seed. I am sure he has some type of book to back up this theory, of course. Do you? It's not that I'm saying don't do you, but I roll to that. I'm like, he's turning into the new future. That's what it is. So that's why I said, is he, because to me, it's like he's saying, you get a sperm and you get a sperm and you get more (laughs) sperm. Like, didn't Jessica White say something about wanting to have a baby with him too? She had a miscarriage yes. apparently. So she yes. would have potentially so been another one to carry his child oh, as well. Wow. So that's what I'm saying. Like I understand. And I've heard the idea. He said that after his divorce with Mariah Carey, he's realized monogamy is not for him. And that marriage isn't a system that's built for him and all this and that. And that he had like three women that he spent Valentine's day with separately, including, I believe these two last these baby mamas on their free, Instagram like they were special I'm sorry yeah I, I can't this is not a life for me it's I, just not <laughs> different strokes for different folks but again it's getting complicated when you start introducing the fact that you're having children with all of these women you know what I mean that's well, when you're reaching a different level for me not blindsiding the current women involved Except for Jessica, possibly. Well, I'm just she, saying she's no longer in the picture, though. So right. With the to your point, they all know about each other from what yes. they say. So, yes, agree that it doesn't seem like he's lying or shady. My question just is, is it like benevolence on his part where it's like, I'm going to let you have a canon baby and I'm going to let you also have a canon baby and so on and so forth. And when is I it going to end? I wonder what Mariah thinks. <laughs> about all this yeah somebody was like he's embarrassing her and I was like Mariah probably doesn't actually care in my mind I don't think she cares I think she would if you think about her son that's his father it is see how his father runs these streets (laughs) and he might want to model the model it or not I don't know yeah I mean this this that that's that's not something unfortunately that she's going to be able to control but I just, the way that Mariah comes across to me, she may make a shady remark or two, but I really don't think Mariah gives two shits. Like, to be honest, like, I think she's probably like, well, I guess if that's what your little daddy want to be out here in these streets doing, if your little daddy wanted to, you know what I mean? Like, I think yeah. she's just going to be one of those women who's like, in this do you, boo? though, unlike, again, this is feeling a little bit like future. 
Um, Mariah has power because she has her own money and reputation. Yeah, she's Mariah freaking Gary. Exactly. Yes. You know, whereas these other women, I feel like it's going to be interesting, their dynamics, because he's the one that has the upper hand passing out BMWs and things <laughs> and sperm. of that nature. And sperm. <laughs> um, I, I'm just curious to see where this ends. Again, I remember him saying a quote like a couple years ago, like he is he's intentional with who he has children with and maybe he is but six i mean you're about to be at six so i guess we'll see if you keep going or not yes because chica's having twins yes wow. she is twin boys wow. so okay let's move on to our second hot topic which is i'm also uh, nervous about these baby names because the last baby girl i think they've already said their names but i could be wrong because the last one was what like powerful powerful queen yeah Mm-hmm. I mean, there have been some crazy Hollywood baby names. That's a whole other tangent Genre. to go off on. <laughs> um, our second hot topic: Lizzo decided to shoot her shot at your boyfriend, Delora Chris Evans. Yes, ma'am. She sent him some drunk emoji-filled DM over Instagram. Chris ultimately responded after like a day because I think she posted that she and him on like DM'd him on like TikTok, and he responded, "No shame in a drunk DM with a little kissing emoji." <laughs> swoon god knows i've done worse on this app lol i guess kind of alluding to a nude photo he accidentally leaked online back in september somehow i missed that i don't know if you oh, missed I that didn't. but i <laughs> see i knew you were gonna say that because i'm like somehow that Although went past I me i don't care for dick pics by any stretch of the imagination but i re- i remember when that was a thing on the internet yes <laughs> okay well never fear though delora because guess who stepped up uh in the event that chris doesn't work out your boy chet hanks tom hanks son what? decided to step up to the plate girl he oh, posted yes. lizzo if it don't work out with talking Cap- about the pics again. no like, girl, no nobody care about no chet. he said <laughs> He said, Lizzo, if it don't work out with Captain America, I'm here, baby. Uh, WBS and BQS. Yeah, you know, he's he's on his whole rap tangent with White Boy Summer and BQS is Black Queen Summer. So he's out here trying to get him a little Lizzo or promotion, whatever. He's a clown, yeah. lordy. I just oh need, now you talk about you want to know somebody's thoughts. I need Tom to step up and do an interview <gasps> and let me know his thoughts yes! on Chet Hanks. Wait, wait, <laughs> him and Rita, come to the front of the stage, please. I need to know. <laughs> But Delora, my question is, is there any celeb you shamelessly drunk DM if you were in Lizzo's shoes? Honestly, Chris is probably it because (laughs) out of all of my celebrity crushes, and they have not really changed. They've been the same since before I was married. So that's why I lean into them heavily, right? Uh, We're talking The Rock, Will Smith, Brad Pitt, Troy, Brad Pitt. I didn't care about Mm. Brad Pitt before Troy. Mr. and Mrs. Smith Brad Pitt is my favorite. Orlando Terribly. Bloom, Orlando Bloom. Although he's fallen off by a lot. But I say oh. all that to say no, no. He's still gorgeous, but he's not. Orlando Bloom was my guy. If you knew any, if anyone who's listening was a friend of mine in high school, they're going to be laughing right now because Orlando Bloom was my guy. I mean, the but first Pirates of the Caribbean, he was beautiful. He was everything. Beautiful yeah. Everything. So I say all that to say all those guys are married. So for me, if I were to shoot my shot like Lizzo, 
Chris is the one that's available. Yeah. And I was very proud of her. Look at you being so respectful. That's beautiful. Yes. <laughs> and then his response makes you love him even more, you know? So mm-hmm. I loved it. I, I had a good giggle. And then my, my favorite actress, uh, Yvette Nicole Brown, she calls him mm-hmm. her boyfriend online. Follow her on Twitter. She's amazing. And everybody was tweeting her about it. And she it's just the cutest thing. It was a fun, fun moment in light of everything's going on this week, you know? Yeah, girl. I would definitely, if I was Lizzo, be shooting all my shots. I mean, why not? Who's your person? So there's so many. I have a rotating, <laughs> yeah, I have a rotating top five all the time. But to your point about who's single at the moment, I don't know because my top five is usually like Idris Elba, Jesse mm-hmm. Williams is in a relationship right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Jason Momoa is usually somewhere in my top mm-hmm. five. I mean, yeah. you talk about people who are single. It's probably actually some of the little youngsters. Like, I love me some Aaron from Grownish. So I probably try Do to shoot. Do you? The Rattel is just an absolutely no for me. I hated I them will. when they were in, when we were in, kids in the 90s. I hate it now. I will take him rat tail and all. Do not bring that mess back. I will Please take don't. him rat tail all. I had a little boyfriend back in like first grade, something like that, who had the rat tail. I didn't mind it, but I, yeah, I, love, I love him on that show. I don't know how he is in real life, but yeah, I'd probably shoot my shot at some of the little, some of the he little young sexy outside of the uh, show. He, you know, he has a singing situation. Yes. Going on. I was just listening to one of his songs yesterday. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's cool. I mean, I like him a lot, but I'm just I, saying like, I if I was a celebrity, <laughs> I would definitely see, have no shame in going ahead and shooting some of them shots. So I'm saying, I don't like his singing. He comes off a bit like a nasally singer for me. Oh so yeah. I understand. He's not, I mean, it's kind of like, there's a lot of those singer actors like um Mm -hmm. kiki palmer so actually a couple of kiki's songs were were fired to me yeah but she's not like you talk about like people whose voices i love you know we've had this conversation yes it's 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 a short list of people whose voices i'm like yes you know Mm -hmm. i'm a i want to hear every song you put out but it was cute you know they have some cute hits here and there um but that's all i have for hot topics and headlines today delora you ready to get into this week's recap Yes, Ashley, we are recapping this week another doc. So we did our very first documentary, Tina. Please check it out if you haven't. Yes, yes. Amazing. So we're working on our second one today, The Last Blockbuster. All right. So this movie came out actually in 2020. Uh, It's a documentary. It's an hour and 26 minutes long. The premise of the movie, the manager of the last blockbuster video store struggles to keep the store open. It's directed by Tyler Marden and the producer and writer is Ziki Cam and uh, production company Pop Motion Pictures and September Club. The narrator Lauren Lapkus, and we had interviews with the general manager, Cindy Harding, and we had celebrities such as Kevin Smith and James Arnold Taylor, Adam Brody, and then people who were within the Blockbuster organization, which I'll highlight as we discuss this recap. According to Rotten Tomatoes, this film gets... 71% from the critics and 64% from audience and Google users give this movie 83%. All right, Ashley, 
what's your score for this documentary? All right. The last blockbuster gets a B from me. And that's really for the nostalgia factor, because I really enjoy learning more information about, you know, kind of everything that happened with the blockbuster franchise. This was previously a hidden gem for me. And as I was watching it for the second time, I remember thinking it the first time, but I just put in my notes. I have no idea why I never worked at a blockbuster. It was so should have been the case or a movie theater like i was like why didn't i work at a movie theater or a blockbuster very strange i had the same thought process yeah obviously our love for movies yes the uniforms would not have been my cup of tea with the blue shirt and the khakis okay but (laughs) we would have been perfect employees for for those for those professions so absolutely missed opportunity but i give it a b what about you i actually gave this film a b minus okay it was like tiptoeing c plus b minus i really loved the history as you mentioned and i also loved the nostalgia factor however i disliked their roster of quote-unquote celebrity commentators (laughs) um i didn't know a lot of these people and i was hoping for a few more you know former ceo cfo coo people of blockbuster granted some of them probably have passed on i'm not gonna lie but at least people who were in it, you know what I mean? During its heyday, somebody from the Blockbuster Entertainment Awards or something like that. It just would have been nice, you know? Yeah. I wonder more color in that way. I wonder too, based on the fact that most of the interviews skewed white male, was this like the friends of the people who were writing and producing it more than like, hey, we're really going to seek out, you know, alternative talent? Because I know that's a factor, obviously, is who you can get. And that's just something yeah. I was thinking about. I was watching the second time too. I was like, "Hold on, there's a very lack bro-y. of diversity a little bit." There was this. no black women, and again, None. we would have made great panelists, you know. <laughs> yes, you know, this time, okay. Yes. So you know that that's my thoughts. So with that, spoiler alert! All right, Ashley, we're gonna first talk about the origin of Blockbuster. This is kind of like my favorite part of the film, by the way. Like nerding out i love context okay so apparently there were a lot of mom and pop stores in the 80s and one of the fascinating things out the gate they mentioned was that the studios put their film on on these tapes and they were charging a hundred dollars yes these tapes yes crazy in the 80s, imagine. In the 80s. That's like $1,000 <laughs> today. Like, that's insane. Very much so. And so it was a court case that happened because entrepreneurs got hip to what was going on. They were like, okay, we'll foot the bill and then we'll rent them out to people. And the studios did not like that. They uh, sued them. The court case went all the way to the Supremes, okay? Um, <laughs> And then ultimately the mom and pop store video stores won because they determined that this this is called the quote unquote first sell doctrine. Once a copyright holder has sold a copy of a work, she cannot control what the user does with it. Mm -hmm. I.e. libraries can lend books. A person can sell their old records. And so that was fascinating. And 
I believe it was Alan that mentioned that the studios realized that this was a great source of revenue at the end of the day. Their biggest source of revenue. Yes, once the movie comes out. So because the original fear was that, hey, it's seven bucks to go into the theater. If a person is at home, they can get 10 people to watch it. So let's multiply all that <laughs> together. And then they, they own it in perpetuity, right? Exactly. That was ridiculous. I thought that was fascinating. Uh, it was great history. And, and the fact that Alan knew that, I'm like, Alan, you're my type yes. of person because you were a franchise owner and you know the history of exactly. renting films, sir. And that's, through. you know, know your business, right? Absolutely. And so he's introduced because he was a franchise owner. So after the Supreme Court case, there was a boom in mom and pop video stores. One of the owners we get a chance to meet is Ken Tishner. Uh, he and his wife were in the Ben, Oregon area, and they opened up Pacific Videos. He said that they had an investment of $400,000. Their entire life savings, which at that time would have been pretty astronomical. Yes, to open up their store. I kind of wish he would have told what type of business he was in before, you know, just yes, to give a little bit of context. That's not a, lo- that's, not a lot of people had Four hundred grand. Granted, no. they they spent every dime on mm-hmm. this, but that's a lot of money in the eighties. Yeah, because they made it a point to say, you know, at one point owning a video video store was like printing your own money, but you had to have the money to be able to get into the business. So exactly. I think it would have been relevant to say what he was kind of getting into before. Exactly, and he and his wife were successful in their area. Uh, They talked about the origin of Blockbuster itself. David Cook was in Dallas. He was an oil guy and he saw this opportunity and and wanted to uh, jump on it. And so basically he changed the game essentially. So for traditional mom and pop stores, they only had so many copies available. And according to Kevin Smith, your new release section was your bread and butter, right? Mm -hmm. Which you and I probably know very well, and we'll get into that later. Um, And so Mom and Pop Store was able to get, what, like three copies or something? Right, yes. Well, Blockbuster guaranteed a lot more new releases, which meant happier people, which meant more revenue. They were open past midnight, and they wanted it to be a family-friendly experience. So there was no more beaded door (laughs) in the back of the store so to speak do you remember have you ever gone into a mom and pop video store or is your experience solely blockbuster so i've definitely gone into the mom and pops but i don't remember beads when they said that i was like what are these porns like i don't remember i don't remember absolutely remember these beads but I, I thought that was also very fascinating because I even remember going to mom and pop stores and still seeing that. And then, yeah, not having anything like that at Blockbuster. So I do you remember it being family friendly? Blockbuster? Yes. I mean, I don't remember the service just being such where it was like, oh, my God, I come in here and I feel like it's so much better. It was just there was just a, a, a factor of the branding of Blockbuster that mm-hmm. I didn't feel like you got, obviously, at the small mom and pops. I mean, you knew it when you saw the logo, the coloring, the carpeting, mm-hmm. all those things. It's very so, uniform in that way. Yeah, it was a major mm-hmm. chain. I mean, that's the sense I get from Blockbuster. <laughs> and so David Cook also 
you mentioned the uniformity and the look. He also was able to implement technology into his stores. So they had a database that allowed them to process their information much faster than the Mm -hmm. old school writing down a log or whatnot compared to the mom and pop stores. And that right there made Blockbuster the hot commodity that it was, that it was one uh, was built every 17 hours. That was like insane. So technology always changes the game. I mean, that's really the the moral of that story. (laughs) Yes. And um, Hazinga bought it from Cook. And with him, that's where the one was built every 17 hours. Like, so they experienced this huge boom. We are then introduced to um, Sandy in this story. And And the reason why I want to bring her up now is because... She started in 2004, and so to give some perspective, in 2004, Blockbuster had 9,000 stores and about 60,000 employees. We also see that in 2017, we're talking 12 stores and 2,000 employees, and I'll keep going as we continue to tell the story, but... During her time at Blockbuster, she saw, she talked about having as many as six registers open at a time on a Friday. Lines to the back of the store. Girl, like, that was, like, fascinating to me. Had you heard of Sandy before you saw this documentary? Because I remember Sandy now in all these interviews she subsequently has done. It's so funny that you say that. No, I had never seen her before mm. and, and obviously the show or the documentary does a great job highlighting all of her interviews. Mm-hmm. She mentioned that they, she did 500 interviews. Crazy. Uh, <laughs> With, I mean, it was like every major publication and like print and television and all these things. I, I mean, I just, she took everything in such stride. You know what I mean? I was I just was like. so impressed with her because. Yeah. Again, I'm not talking about the decline just yet, but the way that she maintains her loyalty to the mm-hmm. brand and to the store. Yeah, she said, I'm going down with the ship. I said, oh, you the violinist in the ti- on the Titanic. Okay. Girl, exactly, exactly. So let's talk more about some more about this growth and how Blockbuster ended up blowing the mom and pop stores out of the water. So Blockbuster had this thing called late fees, right? (laughs) There were due dates and late fees. And that was essentially a major part of their revenue, okay? They also were able to build a relationship with the studios called RevShare, where they were able to, instead of just outright buying a couple of copies of a brand new uh, film, they got a hundred copies for two to five dollars, and they were able to share in the revenue with the mm-hmm. studios, which you know essentially gave them preferential treatment and cut and, the independents out and cut the independents out because they could not they could not hang on, could not compete. Freaking capitalism! I thought that was fascinating. Mm-hmm. So Blockbuster's hot streak was still going on very very strong. So much so that uh, in 1994, and I didn't even state when they started. They they started in in the 80s, around 1985. So by 1994, they were able to have 
3,600 plus stores compared to in 1986, they only had 20. Mm-hmm. And they were so red hot that Viacom bought them for a whopping $8.4 billion. Yeesh. Sumner Redstone was behind that deal. And we find out that he was using Blockbuster as a cash cow to make up for all the debts for his company. And this is going to mean something later. So caveat, as a business person, I was eating all of this up. (laughs) Oh, so he was taking advantage of this cash flow because they had a bunch of debts and they thought that was the great strategy because what's the greatest um, assumption, Ashley, on why Blockbuster isn't here? Because of Netflix, of course, because of streaming. Exactly. And I'm not going to lie. When I first saw this film being released on Netflix, I was like, this is savage. What is going (laughs) on here? What is Netflix doing with this? And uh, people like Tom Casey makes it clear and say, no, it's not Netflix. Yes. It was bad business. And so. And Tom Casey was the former CFO of Blockbuster. Yes. Yes. He was an interesting character. I didn't really enjoy him. He's very dry. I mean, he was an, he's an accountant. He's very dry. Yeah, but he was also, he came off as a bit of an asshole too, you know? Maybe he's over it. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. That, that part. Yeah. That part. Because you think uh, about how frustrating it must have been, too, to be the CFO and to be there and see this demise in this way, you know what I mean? Yeah. And to have the misperception out there. So I can imagine that was a little frustrating. Yeah. You know, Viacom buys them in 1994. By 1995, we have the Blockbuster Entertainment Awards that highlights. Which um, I have never heard of. I did. I, I never. Them. I think it came on like an obscure cable channel, like MTV two or something crazy like that. But I do remember Girl, hearing about it. And in the particular part of the documentary, they show Tom Cruise. Right. Uh, getting an award. Action, action figure star and everything like that. And they even wanted to open up a theme park north of Miami. That Mind was blowing to me. Mind blowing. Can you imagine them opening it up and competing with Universal and Disney? If you think about it, Blockbuster, for any Gen Z people listening, Blockbuster was that place, okay? It was. Like, it was huge. It I mean, was. obviously, 8.4. And, and okay, to speak on the 90s nostalgia okay we're talking pepsico we're talking kfc taco bell pepsi uh blockbuster what else is what else was big during that time they were all like the thing at i that mean time. they even mentioned it in the the, the uh, documentary that it's like imagine a company that you expected to always be around to suddenly go under and it is the biggest business like that'd be like mcdonald's shuddering during our lifetime like it was un it is was at the time especially unfathomable but it's yes. still interesting to imagine that they would have possibly had a theme park of the essence of a universe <laughs> or a Disney. Like, I was just like, really, Blockbuster? Okay, I would have gone, but just like, my God. But Ashley, Netflix now has original content. They were only created because the owner or the founder was upset about a $40 late fee for <laughs> Apollo 13. I'm upset on how specific this is. I love it. I love it. 
thought it was just honestly a funny anecdote because obviously he also had the brilliance to have the foresight to be innovative in ways that other people yes. were not. So it is. Because it was a funny anecdote. Netflix. Netflix was originally a movie, you know, DVD service that mailed it to you and you returned it. Who would have thought they would have, you know, been original content people right. being nominated was, for Oscars? It no was partial. It was partial streaming and partial direct to consumer DVDs. Yes. But they had such limited inventory to the point that we'll get to that Tom makes. I mean, yes. they were not the Netflix of today, guys. This, they were this not. This has been a process. They, they were hobbling along. Okay, <laughs> so let's talk about the decline, okay? We talked about the rise and then the decline. So a little bit more about the rise, though. They went ahead after the big Viacom purchase. John Antesino was then put in charge as the CEO. His claim to fame was Taco Bell's cheesy gordita crunch, which, mind you, when I was 10, it was everything. As an adult, (laughs) I'm just like... You got to be freaking kidding me. And that was a billion dollar idea. You know, it was fascinating to hear about these geniuses, if you want to call them that, behind some of these Girl. business decisions. Girl, I was like, why am I not wealthy and in charge if these are life changing decisions? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I digress. <laughs> okay. By 1999, IPO of. million dollars okay so blockbuster was still chugging along that's a decent ipo initial public offering but we hit 2001 and the competition is starting to rear its head so we're talking Redbox, netflix tivo did you ever have a tivo ashley no but i i remember tivo (laughs) (laughs) i didn't either but dvr and as I mentioned, they talked about how Netflix was created because of the late fee. Antiaco had the brilliant, the simple, brilliant idea to remove late fees to make them competitive because one of the things that a lot of consumers were complaining about were their late fees. And they lost $250 million in revenue. <sighs> Or in sales, I should say. Cut their cash flow down to a third. That's like unbelievable. I mean, again, I could see him in a room was like, we have to, we have to think big. We have to think big. Let's cut late fees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I feel like, and everybody's like, yes, yes, yes. Well, guess what? People were not returning these movies. Exactly. Because what's the incentive? Loyalty? What were they? Exactly. These hoes ain't loyal. (laughs) That was my. That was supposed to be my sinister laugh. I doubt it worked, but (laughs) that's supposed to be. I just thought that was fascinating. No, it was. And uh, the decline continues because because of such a major loss in sales. Corporate raider Carl Icahn decided to buy up stock and take control of the company and he put jim keys who was the guy behind 7-elevens hey let's pass out free smoothies on june 11th again 
the simplicity of these ideas are is just mind-blowing to me, Ashley. First of all, I have absolutely taken advantage of 7-Eleven uh, Slurpee, percent. free Slurpee. So that was when was I was like, when really? Was that is something. I mean, obviously, everything is human and everything is a man-made, woman-made creation. But it is yes. funny. Again, I love those gems because it's like these yes. are the people behind these brilliant And ideas. they apparently go to different companies to come up with incredibly simple ideas that are apparently revolutionary at the same time right yeah i mean there's i'm I'm sure there's other pressures that come with that position but it was just like wow okay yeah yeah (laughs) well you know things were actually turning around but guess what lehman brothers a 158 year institution ashley Mm. files for bankruptcy in 2008 damn I feel like the journey of Blockbuster is like the journey of my life in some ways, right? Because in the sense of it's like Blockbuster House was way. always there. <laughs> well, not not in a real way, like in any type of, you know, disaster. But in terms of like, I remember going, uh, going there with my family. It was an event after school almost every weekend, mm-hmm. right? It was paired with either going to Taco Bell or Pizza Hut. <laughs> okay yes pizza hut yes <laughs> and you know it was a big deal when you ran into you know friends from school you know when you're in elementary school it's a big deal when you see your your school friends outside of school right like, girl when i tell you i used to live really close to my elementary school and anytime anybody drove by i recognized i would run out and be waving at them <laughs> and stuff like it was really <laughs> but it I was say, really a thing <laughs> but i say that to say it's like you know, I graduated college in 2008 and I was like, oh, I'm about to go and me being a business major and all, I'm going to get me a job. And it was like, nope. <laughs> we sure did hit that nice little time period of like, oh, good luck. Good luck, millennials. Good luck. Because the job market to be the future. <laughs> the job market has suddenly crashed and burned. So crash and burn. So yes, again, I'm not claiming the blockbuster story to my life exactly, but I'm just saying there were <laughs> moments in my life a, a parallel to blockbuster where it was just like. <laughs> well, the one thing you never did it seemed like blockbuster may have made a mistake with is in my mind, even as a customer, I felt like blockbuster got a little arrogant. I think that they yes. believed and sipped on their own Kool Aid. They did. That's an excellent point. Excellent point, Ashley. All right. Competition is heating up, as I mentioned before. And one of the things that I thought Tom Casey did an excellent job comparing, again, the business side of me screaming in excitement. He talked about how Netflix, although they were, you know, you know, just getting started, they had capital, whereas Blockbuster... They were making all these changes, making, um, doing home deliveries, becoming available in streaming, as well as their stores, but they were operating on a deficit because based off how Viacom purchased them, they sucked all the money out to pay other debts. Bad management, bad, bad management. And... At that point, they had 7,500 stores worldwide. And Ashley, they had to file for bankruptcy. And as they mentioned, bankruptcy, technically, Chapter 11, doesn't mean 
the worst necessarily. It just means they need financing and restructuring. <laughs> but they were able to get Dish to purchase them in 2010. There's one thing that you have to mention, though, when I okay. talked about Blockbuster's arrogance. One of the reasons why I say that, too, is because did they not have an opportunity to purchase Netflix early on? Absolutely. Is that just an ugly rumor or did we find that to be confirmed? We found this to be confirmed, Ashley. Thank you very much. In 2000, they had the opportunity to purchase Netflix and they laughed them out the door. Wow, is what I put in my notes. Wow. Yes. Okay. All right, sis. How'd that work out for you? (laughs) Reed Hastings over there. The Bible says pride comes before the fall. The fall. Reed Hastings over there sipping on his tea as he sees the last blockbuster come as a title on his desk. Like, yeah, green like this shit. Go ahead and green like this shit. <laughs> so y'all can see. Y'all can see what's really good. Yeah. That's crazy. All right, Ashley. So as I mentioned, Dish purchased Blockbuster in 2010. For a mere $320 million. Steep decline from $8.4 billion. Girl, that's a huge difference. Huge. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, in six months, they had to close all their stores practically. Yeah, corporate closed up shops. So it was really the franchisees that were trying to hang on. Exactly. And that brings us to the last blockbuster in Bend, Oregon, managed by the wonderful Sandy Harding. I want to talk a little bit more about her, too, because this woman is still working on the database that David Cook set up (laughs) from the 80s. She has old registers or old computers from closed stores that she fish for parts pause right there i said floppy disk steel come on come on to target to buy new dvds that the vendors don't get to them yeah i i was floored by her commitment because again i don't know that i don't understand that loyalty as well like i mean she really truly (laughs) she really truly is gonna go down with the ship i mean i commend her not just for that level of loyalty but also just her work ethic because again sandy did not lose stride like she's being recorded this whole time sandy is out here grinding she's doing everything she has to do to keep picking up the snacks yes keep this store going (laughs) she has employed almost every member of her family down to her little youngest son i mean sandy is out here standing for the way blockbuster that video she is able to create a family and so one of the things i didn't mention so pacific video was bullied by blockbuster mm-hmm. to convert to being a franchisee because during that time they were threatening to open one of their stores in their area so they said they either are going to open it up or they're going to convert and they decided to convert And one of the things that was fascinating about this documentary was she was worried about the, her license renewal for the location. Right. Right. And she had to work with the people at dish because dish still owns blockbuster on the renewal. And thankfully she was able to get that renewal. 
So Ashley, I'm going to talk about the nostalgia things really quick. What are your memories of Blockbuster? I get, I've given you a couple of ideas on my end, but you know, what, what are some memories on your end? I mean, so the Blockbuster video, I still remember the exact location in Trotwood, Ohio, that we used to always go to. You talk about Pizza Hut. We had a pizza we used to go to a lot. Super Subbies. I don't know if everybody has a a Subbies, but Super Subbies was in that same complex. So we used to get Subbies a lot when we would go. Um, Mm -hmm. I definitely remember the smell. Like, they talked about that a lot, about the smell. And I'm like, no, it really is, like, this very distinctive smell. The, The sound, when you closed it, I was like, oh, my God. Like, I was getting chills. Like, all those feelings of like reminiscing about one thing I love is one of the ladies said about the tangibility of a VHS or a DVD Mm -hmm. or whatever and it making it more precious that's what I remember right it's just that Mm -hmm. feeling of like I love this thing and it's tangible and so it just made it a little bit more valuable to me in some type of way that I can't explain but it used to be definitely a family affair I don't remember really getting to the point where it was like a date setup thing which I kind of wish I had gotten to live through was like that you're going with your boo to blockbuster i never got i wasn't old enough yet to have those experiences so when i hear that i'm like yeah that makes total sense that that would have been a really cute like date night activity but for sure for me it was always you know me my mom my brother going to blockbuster we started losing interest as again to me it started being ridiculously priced compared to some alternatives but I think my mom probably still to this day has that blue blockbuster card somewhere so you know we we stayed customers pretty much until the very end she even was doing the direct to dvd blockbuster video and streaming service before they got rid of that so yeah so my mom was loyal loyal to the end yes oh I love that okay so I love that you brought up the card because it was such a rite of passage to get your own Blockbuster card. <laughs> I, I got one, okay? And then in terms of um, the love aspect, I actually put in my notes, I'm like, before Netflix and chill, mm-hmm. there was, let's go to Blockbuster, let's pick a movie, let's pick a <laughs> scary movie. Or, or even you know the I mean? negotiation of it, right? Like, oh, we have to get one she likes. We have to get one that yes. I like, you know. Oh, and I was, my family and I w- were so big on getting three movies. That was like our thing, Oh, right? yeah. You can never get just one. Who gets oh, just one? Never. Ever. And there was always some type of action or comedy or always a horror. Like, and so I actually did do the dating thing with Dave. So there was a blockbuster in Bowling Green, Ohio, because we went to Bowling Green State University. And we, I, I remember us going to blockbusters on a Friday and always having to go at a particular time before all the new releases were available <laughs> anymore. And I remember one time we couldn't find anything good to watch. And so we decided to watch a series and the first series or show that we watched together as a couple was like the first half of season one of True Blood. Okay. Mm. And so if anyone as like who watched True Blood, we ended up being fans of True Blood because it just meant so much to us in our like our relationship. And you know, it's a big deal when you start watching a show as a couple, right? You know? 
And so that was our show. And we, we rented all the uh, DVDs and then we were up to date to where we would watch it on HBO. And uh, we actually still have the DVD set, a DVD set of all the seasons, actually. <laughs> yeah, so you hung with Blockbuster for a while there to the end, too. I that's did. getting towards the end as well. So Yes, it was the 2007, mm-hmm. uh, 2008 round. Yeah. 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 But I also, our college was in a small town, so it made sense that it was still there. I don't remember what was going on back at home in Detroit necessarily during that time, but yeah. And they talked about that in the documentary as well. They talked about what type of city or town would have the last standing blockbuster. And some of the commentators had me crack it up, talking about uh, older population, right? But then they were like, Bad internet connection. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, Kamal got me, though. When the one guy visited and he's cool with Kamal, who's an actor, producer, director, and Kamal Uh was like, wow, where is this? In Ohio or something? (laughs) I said, shots fired, Kamal. Shots fired. How dare you? (laughs) Absolutely. And then speaking to the nostalgia factor also, Captain Marvel movie, how she falls you know, mm-hmm. it takes place in the 90s, and what's more 90s than Blockbuster, right? And the fact and, that that re- created even that little, like, revival moment where so many people wanted to visit after that, yes. I was like, oh, wow, okay. Yes. So, Ashley, I have a question for you, okay? Yeah. Do you miss Blockbuster? No. I can't say that I miss Blockbuster because... I enjoy the accessibility of everything that we have now to be able to get content. But I will say that there is absolutely something to be said for the era in which Mm -hmm. we had Blockbuster. You know, that love of that time, that nostalgia for me of the 90s. Because, I mean, I was born in the late 80s, but I am a 90s kid, right? So same. All of that makes me, I don't miss Blockbuster, but I miss the way that that time felt, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I mean, you also have to think about it. We had so much hope ahead of us. I'm teasing. We hadn't seen that much yet. We Um, have not. And we didn't have to go through a global pandemic either. Did you enjoy the aspect of the Russell Crowe memorabilia that was first shipped to the Anchorage, Alaska store and then to Ben? Was that something that excited you at all that this? I thought that was interesting. I do love John Oliver. You know, I, I appreciate his humor. Um, I thought that was fascinating. And I honestly, my hope for the last blockbuster that if anything, they can turn it into a museum and uh, just, you know, on that tip, they are now offering Airbnbs at the Blockbuster um, for people to stay the night. Yes, it is wow. COVID safe. So it's only, I think, about four people and they're only doing it for a particular block of time. And it's only open to Ben Oregon residents residents so okay but that was really fascinating to me and and to be honest as a kid i remember just getting lost in the aisles looking at all the movie covers um 
And knowing me, I probably wouldn't have mind sleeping at a blockbuster if I was like six. <laughs> well, yeah, when you're a kid, that would have been a whole adventure for sure. As an adult, uh, my back, you know, I don't know about all of that. But I have a question for you, though. Being mm-hmm. that we are hosts of mm-hmm. a pop culture and recap TV and film podcast, is it our duty to take a trip to Ben, Oregon and visit the last blockbuster? Ashley, that was my follow-up question to do Miss Blockbuster because I was going to ask you, would you take the journey? Would I absolutely, you take the journey? I absolutely would. Absolutely yeah. would. I would love to go to Oregon just to see, I mean, see some mountains and fresh well, air. Well, guys, it sounds like we may be taking a trip to Ben, Oregon, and we'll post some pictures on social media if that we do. That would be so epic. Oh, my goodness, Ashley. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, always, I'm always down for a trip, always. Same. So same. So is there anything else you want to say about the documentary? I think that was it that I had. Again, this documentary just, you know, takes you back in time. I think it's great to your point about what they could do with Blockbuster if, you know, Dish at some point decides not to renew. You said a museum. Also, like the one black guy's suggestion about, you know, turn it into like a dispensary and uh, film and like all things 90s with like, you know, all video games and all this stuff. I was like, that would be dope because what I think yeah. will, sur- will make it survive is that it's an experience i mean obviously sandy and all of them are giving people an experience now but to continue to make it an experience i think would save it so i mean i'd be excited for that they were a jeopardy question those beanies that she was making you can buy them online i went to their website okay the fact (laughs) that she hand makes them i was like sandy again your dedication 26 dollars for that wow okay wow so, so get us some beanies, because I'm sure it's probably a little cool in Oregon. Get us some beanies. We're going to take this trip. <laughs> oh, and I think they made that gentleman a card, like the last Blockbuster, and he had a card with his name on it. That would be so cool. <laughs> I want the movie. You know, at the end, how they gave everybody a copy with yes. the Blockbuster. I want that copy. Oh, one last thing I did have. Mm-hmm. Lloyd Kaufman. I did not enjoy that part, so sorry. Why was this man included in this documentary? Thank you, Ashley. We are on the same wavelength. I actually would have been okay not mentioning him. (laughs) That's why I had to, because I was like, it was such a like stark contrast from all the other other interviews he was so abrasive and i still to this day do not understand why they left it in maybe just for the fact that it was so wild and crazy they felt like hey let's go ahead and put this little two-minute interview in but do that was a key was, character do you think he was shunned by the blockbuster execs because in his awful looking movie he <laughs> destroys a blockbuster you know what i mean like you think they were offended in that way or maybe his film was just trash i mean there are certain like things absolute garbage that are just trash <laughs> and he's not the most pleasant man going back to jenny and georgia you get more flies with honey so you know maybe try a different tactic and yes. maybe you would have been a little bit more successful. So, but I just had to bring that up because he was, it was just such a weird insertion for, for the film. But that's all I got, girl. Until our Ben Oregon trip. That's all I got. Yes, yes, yes. Well, thank you so much, Ashley. And thank you. with that, that concludes our recap this week. Awesome. Well, now it is time for our hidden gems. Delora, please start us off with your hidden gems of the week, girl. 
All right. So I just have one. And I honestly might have mentioned this previously, but Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. I am in love with this show. It is so quirky. So I will say this. Okay. We've had this discussion before on the pod, but I'll bring it up again. When it comes to musicals, you have to bring it with the triple threats, okay? <laughs> you have to be able to sing, dance, and act, okay? Actually and sing. Actually, actually sing, sing, right? I'm Him looking at sing. you, Emma Stone. I was actually, you always take it out of my mouth. I'm so Here's sorry. La La Land, okay? <laughs> so sorry. But, um, and so when I saw the show, it was giving me serious Glee vibes, right? Yes, and actually yes. one of the characters is from um, the actor himself, because I think his pronouns are he, him. He's from Glee, right? Okay. So is it one of the guys, main guys too from Pitch Perfect? Yes! Yes, yes, yes. yes. And so when i saw the show nbc okay they've been trying to do one of these shows for a while and this is the only one that's kind of sticking i will say the singing isn't there the dancing isn't there but it is well written Mm. and so much so that you know the first season talked about grief and and the anticipation of it or you know um and then of course the the classic uh, love triangle and things like that but it's really well written and so much so that they had some awesome episodes this season one is called the reckoning it is featuring all the black characters and it was kind of like their to 2020 <laughs> racial reckoning episode mm. because zoe was given some you know, white girl tear vibes. Uh, but <laughs> I think they've, they've done a great job. And this last episode brought me so much joy. And I did watch it while I'm recovering. So, but I, I'm bringing it up again because in my recovery, I was just like, I really love this show. <laughs> and again, the dancing is sometimes he is borderline lyrical dancing borderline jazzy depending on the song and then the singing isn't necessarily there but the writing and the acting makes up for it okay. and it makes it tolerable and that's that's my hidden gem and they moved it to sunday which makes me nervous when they move shows uh sunday's ne- not necessarily a bad slot but when it was originally on tuesday and you know i think it was on tuesday before this is us and now it's not so i'm kind of like oh but yeah, that's a pretty good um, lead in as well. So we'll see if your show sticks around. Girl, I've seen a couple of episodes, but I, I wasn't I wasn't long for that show, but I may go back and revisit. So thank you for that hidden gem. I have two for this week. My first one is another trip down nostalgia lane. It is the Orange Years, the Nickelodeon story on Hulu. Oh my goodness. I loved, girl, I loved hearing so much background on this iconic era of TV of my childhood, our childhood. Um, They had some great interviews with a lot of those actors of the time um, that starred in all those major series from Clarissa Explains It All to All That to Rugrats to to Doug to um, The Secret Adventures of Alex Mack to Salute Your Shorts. I mean, all of the classics to, you know, hearing about how the move went to Universal, which I remember when they had the studio at Universal Orlando because I visited and set 
on one of the tapings of one of the shows. So it was just such nostalgia for me. But one thing I realized as an adult, Delora, is there was such a lack of racial diversity behind the scenes. Um, again, makes me yeah. continually happy to see those shifts and those opportunities today because mm-hmm. I think it's so important. Like we talk about all that. Uh, obviously, there was diversity in that cast, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. But I, Keenan and Kale. I mean, you had a you had a lot of diversity, even the music. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about all the major music acts that came through all that from TLC to Aaliyah to Coolio to a lot of mm-hmm. different artists but it's just like you know that opportunity exists now and I'm glad because I want for kids today to see that representation so still a great documentary though loved it really enjoyed it again the orange years the Nickelodeon story on Hulu my second and final cruel summer oh my god this is I have that on my list I just put it on my list like yesterday I'm not gonna you are gonna so enjoy the show and guys we may end up either recapping it or at least micro dosing it because when I tell you this is a free form series it had a I love a good teen drama me too it had a two hour (laughs) series premiere this week and it sets the show up for me really as one to watch Jessica Biel serves as an executive producer on it and it's told over three summers in the 90s basically the most popular girl in high school goes missing and another girl mysteriously takes over her life the way that they tell the story is so interesting because the first two episodes basically are you're watching one day unfold over the course of those three years and both episodes Mm. give you that and you're getting the perspectives of both ladies both girls and their Mm. families and their friendships and all these things and the storytelling to me is so brilliant that I think it's going to be a really, really, really great series. And I'm excited for it. I've not been. It's almost like a whodunit too, right? No, it is absolutely. It's a, it's considered like a thriller drama. So it's mm-hmm. absolutely a mystery and you mm-hmm. almost don't know kind of whose side you're going to take to in these first two episodes. So mm-hmm. guys, Cruel Summer free form i'm telling you it's gonna be one to watch for this you know what it reminds me of what series twisted oh you know i love twisted as well that was one of my boobs that it was only one season yeah should have been another well i mean kylie black girl too kylie kylie bunbury has gone on and now is on you know the the um the ABC show Big she's Sky. Pitch. She's she done. did pitch, which was another <laughs> great show that got canceled. Should have been on a lot longer. Yeah, Come pitch through was Mark great. though. Mark Paul with yes with the woman in color lead. He's done that in three projects now. By the he way, he is now mixedish. He's Bo's yes. daddy in mixedish. If you guys were not aware, her, her mom. Yes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think Cruel Summer is going to be a phenomenal series. I hope they do. y'all better not let me down because I'm speaking so highly of you. But those yes, are my ended. It, you know what it is too because a <laughs> shitty ending is a shitty film or series. So there Absolutely. you go. So those are my two hidden gems delora so guys that's all we got for you this week and we're taking a a couple of weeks break so we we will be back uh for the week the after mother's day with we're anticipating a special mother's day episode so please stay tuned but in the meantime delora pleasure as always my dear being on the mic with you girl love you so much i hope you feel better soon god bless you thank you (laughs) (laughs) Guys, be blessed. Take care. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Bye.